Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Emma. And we are the Steministas. We educate the public about science and the news. And the ethical implications of new science findings. Since it's officially December, I have a very important question for you, Emma. Have you gotten your Christmas tree yet? Yes. Well, we've had our Christmas tree the past, I guess this is our fourth Christmas in this place, but we took it down out of the attic and decorated it this past Monday. So after Thanksgiving. Nice. Oh, so you go with an artificial tree. We do. I like the smell of the real trees, but I don't really like the cleanup. And it's nice to just have your tree and know you have your tree. They they are a pain. I had to, so I went out to get mine during the week. I couldn't wait for the weekend. I went Thursday morning to get it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there are needles all over my stairwell. I live on the third floor, so I carried it all the way up there. Oh, boy. And they did not wrap it up in a net for me at Whole Foods. No, so <laughs> that's horrible. But I'm sure your apartment smells lovely. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a rosemary tree that I got, so it smells great. Because we're entering the holiday seasons, and those usually come with eating lots of tasty treats, Emma and I were inspired to add an episode about the heart and diet. Now, this is not to make anyone feel guilty about splurging for the holidays. It's totally okay to indulge now and then, and kind of even healthy, so that way you don't binge and restrict and go on these sort of cycles. But what we'll be discussing in this episode are how long-term dietary choices can affect your heart health. And just as a disclaimer, we're not nutrition professionals, but we've both read a lot about nutrition and are pretty familiar with the field. But I just wanted to add that caveat so you know we're not trying to tell you what to do in terms of your eating. We'll be focusing on one type of food um, in particular for this episode, red meat. But before we get there, let's start with the basics. What does the American Heart Association, or the AHA, as we'll refer to it, have to say about diet? The AHA recommends to only take in the amount of calories per day that you would burn for that day. The average number is 2,000 calories, but this number can vary widely, depending on your gender, age, and your amount of physical activity. Right. So it's probably no surprise that when I was half marathon training, for instance, I noticed I was a lot more hungry and I had to eat more food. Do you feel the same way when you're strength training, Emma? Definitely. Yeah. I have to actually focus on making sure I eat enough food because sometimes I'll look at what I ate and I'm like, oh, I wasn't super hungry, but I should have eaten more food because I need to, if I want to help grow my muscles, I need more food to do so. Yeah, and you have to plan ahead because when when you don't plan, you just go to the grocery store hungry and end up eating crab. <laughs> oh, yeah, so true. I That is the one of the worst. And to loop this back to our last episode, which was on exercise, the AHA also reiterates in their guidance on this that um, even on their website, even on their webpage dedicated to diet, how important getting at least 150 minutes of physical activity is for your heart health. But back to diet, the AHA recommends lots of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, vegetable oils, preferably over butter, and they recommend avoiding added sugars, overly processed foods, and high sodium foods, which can increase blood pressure, and they also recommend limiting your alcohol intake. Especially relevant to this episode, the American Heart Association recommends healthy sources of protein, such as nuts, fish, seafood, and low-fat dairy. And if you do eat poultry and meat, they recommend looking for meats that are lean and minimally processed. Red meats include beef, pork, and lamb, and these meats are higher in saturated fats. But what exactly is a saturated fat? 
Well, if we go back to high school biology, you may remember that fat is a lipid, which is one of the four main types of macromolecules in the body. And the scientific name for fat is triglyceride or triacylglyceride. Triglycerides are made up of one glycerol molecule attached to three fatty acid groups. A glycerol molecule is a small alcohol that has a sweet flavor, and fatty acids are long chains of carbon atoms that are bonded together with a carboxyl group at the end. The carbon chain has lots of hydrogen molecules bonded to the carbons, which makes that chain hydrophobic, meaning that it's afraid of water. The carboxyl group is what makes the fat acidic. The fatty acid carbon chain is key when determining whether the triglyceride is saturated or unsaturated. If carbon atoms are all joined by single bonds, meaning that they only share one pair of electrons with each other, each carbon on the inside of the chain will be bonded to two hydrogen atoms. However, sometimes some of the carbons in this chain have double bonds, meaning that they can share two pairs of electrons with one of the neighboring carbon atoms and are then only bonded to one hydrogen atom. If there is at least one double bond, then the fat is unsaturated. In chemistry, when you draw bonds between atoms, they're represented by a single line. So I think of saturated fat as these long chains of connected C's with neat lines of H's surrounding the molecule, like a well-organized cactus or saturating it with, uh, if you will. <laughs> Ooh, I like that analogy. I know this is taking me back to organic chemistry days and giving me like PTSD flashbacks of <laughs> drawing out molecules and trying to indicate the bonds correctly. Oh yeah. Did you have those um, little models that you could build? Yep. Those too. <laughs> but you may think that what we're talking about is really technical, but these double bonds can make a huge difference for the function of the fat. For instance, saturated fats are solid at room temperature, whereas unsaturated fats are more likely to be liquid. Think of butter versus olive oil. And the only difference between these two fats is just whether it's the presence of a double bond or a single bond. Intake of saturated fats increases the amount of harmful cholesterol or low density cholesterol. And it's believed that saturated fats in red meat contribute to some of the established link between red meat consumption and heart disease. There are many published studies on red meat and heart health, so we won't go through them all. But today we wanted to share some results from a recent 2021 study published this past spring. While many previous studies have looked at red meat consumption and the risk of dying of heart disease, this study is a little bit different because it used heart imaging to monitor the heart health of living patients. This is exciting because it could teach us about the mechanism, or in other words, how red meat contributes to heart disease. Yeah, it's really hard to tell what's going on when you only study the biology after death, because at this point so much has gone wrong in the heart and the body that it can be hard to determine what came first. So this study was performed in the UK, and it included almost 20,000 individuals. They used three measurements to assess the heart function, and those were cardiovascular magnetic resonance, radiomics, and elasticity of blood vessels. So we'll break those down for you. Cardiovascular magnetic resonance, or CMR, provides information about heart function, how well it's pumping, and the actual volume of the ventricles, which tells you the volume of blood that's being pumped. CMR radiomics gives information about the shape and texture of the heart. Texture might sound weird, but when the heart gets stiff or fibrotic in medical terms, it's hard for it to pump as well. 
Elasticity of blood vessels is pretty self-explanatory, but we'll just remind you here that especially the blood vessels leaving the heart, such as the coronary artery, have to deal with immense pressure. So being flexible and able to stretch is critically important. The research is also corrective for other potentially confounding factors, such as gender, alcohol, and tobacco use, as well as socioeconomic status. The results show a strong association between red meat intake and worse heart imaging data. They also show that red meat eaters have a lower heart volume, worse heart function, and stiffer arteries. Importantly, the researchers mentioned that high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity, and diabetes contribute to worse heart imaging, but these factors alone cannot account for the worse imaging results. This is interesting because red meat is thought to contribute to heart disease by increasing the body's cholesterol, but there could be more to the story than we thought. As a reminder, this was an observational study where people were simply observed and followed instead of given specific foods to eat to test a hypothesis. We cannot determine that red meat causes heart disease from this kind of study. There are a few other caveats to mention about red meat research in general. One of them is that some people criticize the definition of a serving size of red meat used in some of these observational studies where it's often listed as more than four ounces that some people argue is like more than someone would eat in a typical meal. These studies often rely also on self-reporting diets, so there's always a chance that people might be untruthful or it might just simply misremember the specifics, such as exact quantities, who really weighs out all the food that they're eating. <laughs> They also do not necessarily consider how the meat is prepared um, when they ask people about what, what they've been eating for the week, so this could definitely affect the results. Dietary research can be really tough. Ideally, in a scientific study, all the conditions are the same except for the th one thing being tested, but it's really difficult and expensive to control human diet in that way. That's why this field is flooded with observational studies that simply study individuals that have been eating whatever they normally eat. However, just because these observational studies are less powerful than um, an experiment where a diet were to be prescribed and tested, that doesn't mean that observational studies are useless. There is clearly an association here between red meat and heart disease. And I assume, though I haven't looked at the research, but I assume that there's studies that they've looked at red meat or the equivalent of red meat for mice. Maybe. Oh, yeah. I didn't look into any of the animal data. But um, that would be interesting, like if they do see similar effects, like if they have if they gave the mice like a high fat diet, for example. Oh, yeah. My lab had done high fat diets in Natasha's lab. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not studying the, the heart, so I couldn't speak on that. But <laughs> one thing that makes these data hard to interpret is that replacing red meat with other healthier proteins could also be having a protective effect on heart health. Yeah, for instance, omega-3 fatty acids, which are present in fish, are thought to improve heart function, including lowering heart rate and blood pressure. All in all, even with the caveats of this type of research, most doctors and scientists would likely agree that at least reducing the amount of red meat is a healthy choice for your heart. But I could never cut it out. In fact, I made beef stroganoff tonight. Mm, I do love a good like, <laughs> taco salad <Yes>. or <laughs> spaghetti. Yeah, I was reading too much about red meat this week. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is really good. And then, yeah, a steak. I mean, you can't beat a good steak. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just not all the time. 
you know, yes. in moderation, yes, like everything. Exactly. 